2: Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash try.
3: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Winnipeg walking the walk in the Labor Day classic. Edmonton signing former Ryder star linebacker Derek Moncrief. Ottawa's quarterback controversy.
4: Bob Young buying a round of beers for Ticats fans.
3: Bless him. And the CFL rescheduling the postponed game between Edmonton and Toronto. But first, Dunkster, the Calgary Stampeders have the worst record in the CFL at 1-4. and four. I'm going to say that again. The Stampeders are 1-4. and four their fifth place in the West division. Bo Levi Mitchell came off the six game injury list, but did not play in a Labor Day classic loss to the Edmonton Elks. Is it time to hit the panic button in Calgary?
4: Hmm. I hate using cliches, but it might be just because it's such a shortened year with 14 games. And yes, Bo Levi Mitchell can come back and give the team a spark and hopefully put the swagger back if you're a Stampeder fan. But overall to me, Yes, they have the worst record in the CFL, but they're not actually the worst team. That designation belongs to the Ottawa Red Blacks, and the <laughs> Stamps have lost a number of close games with or without Bully Mitchell, but I think he could have been the difference in a couple of them if he was actually healthy.
3: Well, here's the thing, though. Being the best or the worst of the CFL, and I agree with you, Ottawa is lower than Calgary on our power rankings, certainly right now. That doesn't mean anything can play off time right? If you're fifth in the West, you're going home. You're not making the playoffs. And I can't remember the last time the Peters didn't make the playoffs. They've made it certainly every year since John Huffnagel came back to the team in 2008 following a stint in the NFL. So to me, I, I agree, Dunkster, it is time to hit the panic button. And let's also not forget, obviously not having Bolivar Mitchell at the helm is, is, is a drawback, but Jake Mayer has played very well. In, in replacement of him. I think there's a lot of, of problems on the team, but honestly, quarterback, yeah, Bo is probably still better than Jake Mayer, but I don't see the quarterback problem as, as, as what's really hurting the team right now. I think their problems are mostly elsewhere on the roster.
4: Drops have really hurt Jake Mayer. And I think the one difference at quarterback is, yes, Mayer's stats have been really good. He's thrown for over 300 yards. But Bolivar Mitchell just has that fourth quarter veteran experience and has come up clutch so many times. And Mayer is obviously at the opposite end of his career and trying to get used to those situations and performing with three or less minutes left on the clock. So I agree, though, overall, QB is not the issue. They need to protect a little bit better. I think, honestly, They've done a solid job of being able to run the football and overall on offense. They just haven't finished in terms of converting touchdowns and capping those drives with majors. And then on defense, you've been without a couple experienced veterans. Jamar Wall comes to mind and Dickinson called out the secondary and said, hey, you guys are the highest paid group on our team you need to come and step up and start playing like it. So to me, I think that's where mainly the issue is, but these games have still been tight and we can't forget the Stampeders have had leads multiple times in the fourth quarter. So overall for me, it's just that these horses haven't finished yet.
3: Yeah. I I mean, you're right in in saying that the games have generally been close. It's not like they're getting their, their butts kicked. However, Um, you know, at at the same time, as you said, the defensive line is, is applying no pressure. I don't think that's helping the secondary, but again, the secondary, you know, did not look sharp. Mike, Mike Jones got past them for a touchdown. He was in, he was double covered in the Labor Day classic for a deep shot. Uh, Deshaun Amos is, is one of the top corners in the league got beat by Mike Jones. Uh, the, the team has simply not looked good. Uh, they've not looked polished and, uh, I mean, heck, Trevor Harris is a good quarterback. We know that, but it's wild that he came off of that canceled week, right? That postponed game and put up almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, uh, in McMahon stadium, right? It's been a long time since, since the Calgary Stampeders were getting kicked at home. And that's what we're seeing right now. They, they they, they lost by 12 at home in Labor Day classic. This wild unthinkable a year ago.
4: 2011 was the last time they lost. And Labor Day Classic, our man Brian Valentine, all over that kind of stuff. And it should be said that the Elks had a 15 point fourth quarter, so the Stamps were ahead late in that ball game with a chance to win it overall. You hit on a bunch of the issues, but I think the one that's most concerning certainly is the fact that Trevor Harris comes off of an isolation period. The team was starting two rookie receivers in Ernest Edwards and Jalen Tolliver, and we without some of their best playmakers. And And still, Harris was able to throw for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns after some people thought the timing might be off. So impressive overall by the Elks, but the Stamps need to really get the win in the Labor Day rematch down in Edmonton to have any hope of making the playoffs. On the flip side, the Bombers, 4-1 and leading the West Division. Andrew Harris and Willie Jefferson talked that talk ahead of the Labor Day Classic (laughs) and backed it up walk the walk come game time shutting down Cody Fajardo and the Riders on route to a 23 to 8 win that wasn't as close in my mind as the scoreline would indicate is Winnipeg the class of the West Division?
3: I think they are right now and and full credit to Andrew Harris and Willie Jefferson. You know, a- Andrew Harris said he wanted to shut up 30,000 fans in Regina. Willie Jefferson said that the Riders hadn't played anybody with heat and uh, yeah, he was right. The the Riders came in having beaten You know the lions when mike riley was throwing ducks and 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 nathan rourke had to start in week one uh they played a really banged up tie cats team in week two and then they beat ottawa so the the you know the bombers going into Regina. I did think was the first big test for the Riders, and they failed. I mean, the good news for them is they're still three and one, right? They're they're still right close to the top of the West Division. They're still a good football team, but at you know the onset with the Riders starting off three and zero with that string of games at home. Let's also not forget, by the way, they've got ten games left and they've only got three at home. There's Seven Seven of the remaining games are on the road. That's tough. Um, yeah, Winnipeg, to me, is the best team in the West Division at this point. That defense has allowed the fewest points of any in the CFL, and they've played one more game than almost everybody else. They're one of only two teams who have played five so far this season. Most teams have played four. They've still allowed the fewest points, so Winnipeg is doing enough on offense to win games. The defense made Cody Fajardo, who coming into the game was an MOP-can the date look poor, and uh, yeah, I, I think the Bombers certainly deserve to be at the top of the West Division at four and one.
4: And Willie Jefferson didn't back down from those comments after the game. I really liked it, and conversely, Cody Fajardo was saying, "Well, that's maybe more of a shot at the other teams, but I don't <laughs> think that's the case. That was a direct shot at the Riders and saying that they weren't going to be good enough. The Bombers backed it up in the Labor Day Classic Hodge, and you know this." Very well that the banjo bowl is usually won by the team wearing blue and gold. So how vital do you think it could be for Winnipeg to sweep this series and head the tiebreaker if indeed it comes down to that for top spot in the West and home field advantage in the playoffs?
3: Well, the Bombers and Riders only have two games against one another this season. There was the Labor Day Classic, the Bombers won it by 15 points, and then the Banjo Bowl. So the season series will be decided. The Riders are already in tough to win it because of the point differential. They'd have to beat Winnipeg by more than 15 points at home to have the season series. So the Bombers are likely to win it at this point. The issue is just obviously record-wise, the Bombers would love to be five and one, with one and a half games up on the Riders. Versus losing the Banjo Bowl, all of a sudden you're four and two. Saskatchewan's four and one, having that tiebreaker still helpful, but maybe not, you know, the uh, as impactful as as it could otherwise be. So if you're the Bombers, if you can win the Banjo Bowl, which they did last year, they have more often than not, they haven't been as dominant. Traditionally, over the last, say, 15 years in Winnipeg, as Saskatchewan has been on Labor Day, the Bombers just two and 14 now, even with the wins since 2005. But if the Bombers can do it, I think they're setting themselves really, really well uh, to be the team to beat in the West Division and potentially host the West Final because Dunkster, the team won a great cup last year. But let's not forget, the Bombers have not hosted a playoff game at IG Field uh beyond the first round. They they hosted a semifinal years and years ago, lost, but they've yet to host a West Final there. That's something they'd obviously love to do. We gotta take a quick break, but we'll be right back.
4: All right, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil that beach bod you've been working so hard to show off? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the lawnmower four. Point oh. You heard that right. The 4.0. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code fan-sided 20. Want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop down your worst weeds up top. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses 9,000 RPM motor powered by 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes ouch get 20% off for free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com escape the shrubs and weeds this summer with manscaped
3: Dunkster, in a story you broke, the Edmonton Elks signed strong side linebacker Derek Moncrief, former CFL All Star, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders after he was released by the NFL's LA Rams. The Riders were apparently in the bidding, but were very much outbid. What are your thoughts?
4: That was certainly the case. I was told that Saskatchewan did not make, quote, a serious offer to Moncrief, even though Mike Adam, the veteran safety there, was FaceTiming him. And Craig Dickinson said that the riders wanted him back. It's also worth noting, Hodge, that, the Prairie rivals we just talked about, and the Bombers were in the mix as well to try to get Derek Moncrief. Imagine him playing alongside Adam Big with Ooh. Jefferson and Jackson <laughs> Depp. That would have been unreal. In my opinion, if Moncrief was real serious about winning the Great Cup, he would have signed with the Bombers and made up the money in terms of getting those playoff bonuses. However, he goes to the Edmonton Elks in large part due to the fact that Brock Sunderland, the GM there, made him the highest-paid linebacker in the league, it's worth noting, on a per-game basis. He signs a prorated deal worth $142,000 for the rest of 2021. Then he'll be a free agent. Again, it included a $20,000 signing bonus, which is obviously key because Moncrief was in training camp in the NFL and has missed part of the season, so he gets that money in his pocket no matter what happens the rest of the season, and... It adds to an Elks defense that had been young at the position. So you put Moncrief in there, an all-star that instantly makes that unit better. And I'm sure Noel Thorpe is going to love coming up with all kinds of ways to use Moncrief to confuse offenses.
3: Yeah. And and let's touch on that. I mean Derek Moncrief has played with a bunch of former riders who are in Winnipeg. Uh, We've seen Willie Jefferson obviously make the jump from Saskatchewan to Winnipeg. Naaman Roosevelt just did it. Uh, So I, I thought as soon as this news came out, this has to be about the money, right? Because there's no coaching staff connection that I'm aware of. You know, It's not like Derek Moncrief's former DB or linebacker coach is now in Edmonton. This is a money move. And hey, credit the Elks. They put the money where their mouth was. They did cut Jacob Ruby, which probably helps them down the stretch a little bit. But I was also led to believe that Jacob Ruby got a healthy signing bonus that obviously the Elks can't recoup despite releasing him. So credit to them for investing in that defense. Because as you said, Dunkster, that linebacking core is really young. They're starting a rookie at Will. They're starting a rookie at Mike. They were starting Brian Walker at Sam who's been around for a little while, but was relatively new to that position. Derek Moncrief, in my view, is the best strong side linebacker in the CFL, and he's going to make that unit a lot better.
4: Certainly, man. It's a massive upgrade. And there was a lot of people that just assumed, oh, Moncrief goes to the LA Rams, gets his NFL opportunity, and he'll come back to reject. China, but it shows you that it's never just that easy now there'll be another shot as i said if he does indeed get to free agency where saskatchewan could take another run at him but it's worth saying that it's not like sam has been a sore spot for saskatchewan either they have aj handy there the former nfl defensive back himself and yes he's younger and not as established as moncrief but that needs to be taken into consideration i think a lot of times hodge fans look at the name and say why would didn't we sign moncrief back well there's reasoning behind that. So all of Ryder Nation that's up in arms at Moncrief didn't come back there needs to look at the bigger picture of it and how Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson and even Jason Chivers would have looked at that potential decision in addition. And we've got to factor in here, Hodge, and I feel like it should be said, that there is some sort of a cap. And I say some sort <laughs> of a salary cap because we're not sure what exactly that number is going to be. And also, more to the point, We're not sure how it's going to be enforced. So you hear people around the league saying, how does this team have that money to sign this guy over and over? And of course, in this case, it's Edmonton, but it seemed like a convenient thing to say for fans when it was Toronto. But I'm most curious about what's the actual cap number and is it going to be enforced? There's lots of talk among general managers behind the scenes of varying cap numbers based on whichever franchise they're with. So to me, I want to see the CFL enforce it once and for all so that it's a fair, even playing field across the board. All right, moving on after that rant, Dominic Davis (laughs) is reportedly going to start for Ottawa after throwing for 291 yards, two touchdowns and two picks in relief of a struggling Matt Nichols. Should the Red Blacks give Davis a short leash or a long one as the team's new starter?
3: Well, I mean, Matt Nichols looked horrible. Right in that loss to Montreal. he th- he completed two of five passes with a pick. The pick wasn't all on him. Um, but he he's not played well this season and his shoulder has not looked good. If I'm Ottawa, if I'm making the move to Dominic Davis, there is no reason to give him a short leash. This should be a long leash situation because as much as Dom Davis did not play well last season, we also know that the coaching staff there did not put him in the best position to succeed. One thing that I do think is worth noting that a lot of people forget is Dom Davis is in his early 30s. I believe he's 32 Uh, He's not a 26-year-old quarterback who's been in the CFL for a year. He's been in the CFL for over half a decade, and so I don't think we should look at him as a developmental quarterback. He's not. At this point, he's a finished product. That said, to his credit, we've never seen him as a finished product in Paul Apolisa's offense, which we know is quarterback friendly and a lot more dynamic than what Ottawa put on the field in 2019. So if you're going to make this switch to me, you don't make it lightly. You say, okay, this is your game, Dom. You're going to be the guy in BC come hell or high water. Prove to us that you can be the guy because if you're Ottawa right now, you don't have much other option. It's Nichols or Davis. If you don't think Nichols can get it done and he hasn't shown that you go to Davis and you let him run with the baton for as long as he can.
4: Agreed. Let him get an extended period here so he's not looking over his shoulder. And to be quite honest, Dom Damis was put in a terrible situation in 2019. Offensive coordinator by committee, man. I've never heard of that in the CFL, the NFL, U sports, NCAA, high school, minor football, (laughs) summer football, Hodge. Like that is just not a thing in football where you have an offensive coordinator by committee. You want to form a relationship with your play caller. So it really spoke to me and I think Davis showed it, that he boosted That Ottawa offense, when he came in the game, there is no doubt that was the best passing attack from the Red Blacks so far in 2021 by a country freaking mile, however you (laughs) want to describe it. 291 yards, Davis looked good, and we can't forget – This was a guy that was in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons, was a backup to Matt Ryan, who's one of the best quarterbacks of all time in the NFL. You could argue in terms of his statistics. And he got the chance to learn from him. And you mentioned it. He's been in the CFL for a while, has bided his time, and I think not necessarily either had the proper opportunity or been given the tools to succeed within an offensive coordinator by committee system. So the fact, as you alluded to, that he gets – Hopefully, a long run with Paul Apelis, who is known very well as an offensive guru, that it could boost his career. Honestly, I don't care how old he is because his arm looks better than Nichols and he's way more mobile, which we all saw. And I'm not saying he's going to be this type of dude, but what Paul Apelis was able to do with Chris Strebler added a whole new dimension to that Bombers offense that eventually went on to win the Great Cup. So Davis has those traits. It's just, can he prove that he won't make the mistakes like two picks he had when Nichols was pulled?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still not high on Davis because he's been around for six years in this league and has never really popped off. But again, if you're auto, what do you have to lose at this point? Because there's no reason to have faith. And any alternative. I would say, how
4: many years was Jeremiah Mazzoli <laughs> in the league before he got a legit opportunity and ran for uh, a starting job? To me, it's kind of a similar question. situation.
3: I, I wouldn't go that far. Mazzoli was younger. I think he had more raw talent, and I think he was in the league four years before he got the chance to start. I think it was 13 to 16. Davis has been in this league since 2015, and he's been on the roster learning the offense all throughout the pandemic with Paul Apelis. So, to me, it's it's not. I get what you're saying. It's not a totally unfair comparison. I'm just not as high on Davis as I was on Mazzoli. But hey, if he goes out there and pops off, I'm rooting for him. That would be great for our nation to get a good quality quarterback under center. Dunkster, the CFL rescheduled the postponed game between the Elks and Argos for Tuesday, November 16th. This means Edmonton will be required to play three games in seven days. Is that even fair?
4: No, cut to Randy Ambrosi saying (laughs) every morning I wake up and I think about the players. Player safety, we all care about that. I heard essentially, Hodge, that it was not an ultimatum, let's say, but that this was the date you can either play the game or not and the players voted to play it, obviously, because they don't want to miss out on the game check. So to me, I don't think that situation was fair at all. I really felt like What should have happened is the elk should have been penalized. This outbreak, like it or not, was on them. And I mean, Jacob Ruby is the guy being held up as a scapegoat, I believe unfairly because there's, I'm sure, other people that contributed to it based on what you hear behind the scenes and that the elk should have been the ones that were penalized and had a loss in the loss column. And then you can decide whether or not the players get paid. To me, the Argos here have nothing to do with the situation, yet they're going to be affected by it. And I think it would have been an example to all of the teams to not mess around with the protocols. Like you hear the stories, you've heard the behind the scenes of guys going out and partying and clubbing and doing all this kind of different stuff. But if you would make the example out of the Elks, who was the team that had the outbreak, I think it would have spoke volumes. And a lot of people are thinking only for 2021, but who knows, and I hate saying this, where the pandemic is going to be in 2022. Hopefully this thing is over because we all hate it. But you got to make the example that if you go into 2022, these protocols need to be upheld, kind of like the salary cap. You can't just play around with whatever number you're going to enforce. And here you can't just play around with whatever protocols you're going to enforce.
3: Yeah, I think the 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 fact that the CBA is expiring after this season is going to play a huge role in how we move forward with COVID. If the pandemic is still around in 2022 to some extent, which I believe it probably will be. Let's also not forget that the 2022 CFL season has been rumored to be starting earlier than even a normal season would, which means we might only be seven or eight months away from the start of next season, uh, which is wild to think, considering we just had Labor Day and this season is only five weeks old. Um, But if you're doing the CBA, it makes it a lot easier to work it into negotiations to say, all right, if you're playing in the CFL, we've seen lots of employers and lots of industries do this. If you want to play in this league, you got to be fully vaccinated. And you got to get any boosters or further vaccinations that may or may not be required based on the status of the pandemic moving forward. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not an expert on that. But lots of employers in different industries are making that a requirement. And if you're redoing the whole CBA anyways, Dunkster, coming out of a pandemic, when the players are not going to be in a position of strength to negotiate, right, because we know league finances are not strong. You know, to me, if I'm the players, I'm saying, Hey, if we can get more money, if we can get improved safety, if we can get X, Y, Z, and we just have to give up this vaccination, you know, because 85 plus percent of players league-wide are vaccinated. There are a few holdouts. If you can agree to that, that would help everybody uh, because, yeah, we need players to be vaccinated. But no, it's not a surprise players agree to this because they want to get paid. I just thought, surely the CFL will have a more creative solution than just sticking a game in the middle of a random week mm. and wreaking havoc with the schedule. That creative solution did not come to pass, Doug. So we're playing three games in seven days. Okay, fair enough. Uh, prayers up for the Elks and their hamstrings during those three games. It's going to be brutal. We got to take a quick break, but when we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 1991, the BC Lions defeated the Ottawa Rough Riders by a score of 56-29, the team's highest scoring output of the season. The Lions set a new CFL record at season's end with 9,117 net yards, shattering the old record of 7,951. Five of BC's offensive starters were named CFL All-Stars, but the team failed to win a playoff game losing to the Calgary Stampeders in the West semifinal by a score of 43 to 31. Dunkster, have you ever had 9,000 net yards of offense in a season?
4: Well, we don't play enough games in Canadian University football for that to happen, but maybe on pace for it.
3: That's That's 500 yards a game. That's a lot.
4: Yeah, buddy. The Guelph Griffin's offenses when I were there were high powered, man.
3: They were, despite of you. All right, we got to move on to the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Canadian offensive lineman Dakota Shepley was claimed by the Seattle Seahawks after being waived by the 49ers. Is that a big deal?
4: It is, because for the late football fan out there, it means he goes right onto the 53-man active roster for the Seahawks. They really liked him, didn't think he would come free, but Pete Carroll gets his gut the cfl reportedly issued a directive to teams not to sign jacob ruby after he misrepresented his vaccination status to the elks is that fair
3: i mean as you said he is getting scapegoated then again what he did was was pretty bad victoria native dante bolt topped the cfl scouting bureau rankings do you think he could be the number one pick in the 2022 cfl draft
4: It's possible, Hodge, but you as well as I know that over the years, it seems to be that late in the process, there's a riser like a Jordan Williams that ends up going number one overall. So until it happens, I'm not going to say it's for sure. Eamon Roosevelt, the veteran receiver, didn't make his Blue Bomber debut on Sunday in the Labor Day Classic. Could we see him in the banjo bowl, though,
3: I think there's a chance, but the spot that I thought he was going to take was the one that Ikegenski returned to from injury for the Labor Day Classic and scored a touchdown. So there might not be a spot yet for Roosevelt, but I I do think we'll see him relatively soon. Former Calgary Stampeders defensive end James Lauders has joined the Atlanta Falcons practice squad. Think he'll make an impact there?
4: It's possible that dude can play special teams wherever he is, NFL, CFL, anywhere. So I think he can certainly make an impact. Winnipeg-born running back Keenan LaFrance said that Mosaic Stadium is louder than IG Field. For context, LaFrance right now is a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is that true, Hutch?
3: I think he did a great job of towing the party line. No, I personally think that IG Field is louder. John Mechie III had a strong first game of the season for the Alabama Crimson Tide, making six receptions for 76 yards and a score. Do you think the Canadian will lead his team in receiving yards this season?
4: Yes, yes, yes. And if our friends at Bodog Canada had a prop up on it, you should go down and bet the house on it because Canadian... John the III is an absolute stud. Him and Bryce Young, the quarterback there, seem to have a solid connection to start the season. Tie Cats owner Bob Young bought a beer for every season ticket holder before the Labor Day Classic. How cool is
3: that? I think it's very cool. There, if there's one thing better than ice cold beer, dunkster, it's free ice cold beer. Well done, <laughs> Bob Young. Uh, lastly, the Alouettes announced the passing of former owner, Bob Wettenhall, this week, without whom we would not have professional football in the province of Quebec. Three Down Nation would like to extend its sincerest condolences to the Wettenhall family and the Alouettes organization. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for our next episode. Enjoy week six of the CFL season.